Well, I've got uh, one more week with Sermon on the Mount before we do hit Christmas and everything's going to be about Christmas right through till New Year. Uh, but I just wanted to get one more one more message in from the Sermon of the Mount and then we are going to pick that up on the other side in the new year as well. Um, it is Who's been enjoying the Just Jesus series? Like We have just been talking about Jesus and Jesus' teachings now for week after week after week. And of course, we began with a little passage of Scripture at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount that has been coined the Beatitudes. And what those things deal with, really, if you look at it, is some of the highest ethics ever suggested to the human race, as Jesus teaches on our responses to life. Really, Jesus, through the Beatitudes, is, is encouraging us to take the high road as human beings in everything that confronts us in life and everything that concerns us in life. That's what that, those Beatitudes are. And then as we flow into the Sermon of the Mount, it's like Jesus begins to open up application after application after application and actually challenges us. This is how it actually works. If you, if you look at it, it's like the, uh, the Beatitudes are a filter and all the application points come one after the other. The Sermon on the Mount, a collection of Jesus' core teachings. If you're anything like me, like this morning, you know, we've just had an amazing time of worship, but whoever gets distracted in worship? Do you ever get distracted in worship? I mean, I remember as a young Christian, I could get distracted by a good guitar lick. You know what I mean? And while I'm looking at the guy playing guitar, I realise the song's over and I forgot to sing it. Uh, who here, who here first spotted their spouse in church? See, these are the people that had one eye open in worship. <laughs> I'm telling you. And, you know, even right now, to, you know, as a, as a mature believer and senior pastor, I get distracted so easily. I've got my eye on the door. Is that person I spoke to this week that I know is going through stuff, are they here today? That person that I might have offered to, to pray with, you know, anoint with oil, and I see that you are here and I want to grab you. I'm not going to signal you out, but I want to grab you after the service. I'll make sure one of our pastors makes sure there's a bit of oil up the front here after the service. But in my mind, you know, it's so easy to sort of be distracted. But some of those distractions aren't bad distractions. That's what we're going to look at. Sometimes God distracts us in worship, through worship. And we're going to look at that. But how do you know an unhealthy distraction? I tell you when you're unhealthily distracted, it's not finding your spouse in church. That can be a good thing, Jordan. It's a very good thing. And so that can be okay. It's when we start getting like mental scorecards going in our head. Ever done that? I'm not sure what I feel about that song. I don't like that song as much as this song. I'd give that song an eight. I'd only give that song a five. Now, I know we don't do it, but we do it, don't we? We don't do it that much. I don't think they led that song really well. I don't think they landed that song really well. And, and the fact is, that's only such a small part of worship. Singing is not necessarily worship. The first place of mention of worship in Scripture is actually Abraham offering Isaac. It's the first time the word worship is used in Scripture. 
And so worship inherently has as its core not a sense of necessarily joyful singing, although that is wonderful, the fruit of our lips giving thanks and praise. That's a wonderful thing. But actually the core thought of worship is sacrifice. That's what worship really is. So I want to talk to us today about getting worship right. And I've, I, you'll see up on there uh, when the screen comes up, it should have, see right is in inverted commas. And that's because it's really an irony to say it that way. It's, that's humour. I mean, what is getting worship right? There's really no way you can tell, but there are things that should be happening in worship that help us understand that we are actually really worshipping. Because what worship is, is not so much singing as it is engaging God and having God engage us. That's what worship is. And so uh, I want to read this passage of scripture from Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And then I'll read another verse a little later. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, now understand that for, for Jesus, first century Jewish rabbi, what this meant in his context before 70 AD and the temple was destroyed by invading Roman armies, this temple sacrifice was still happening in Jesus' day. They were still offering animals, plants, etc. as a way of worshipping and connecting with God. Interestingly, for them to offer the gift to sacrifice meant worship. Why? They understood it right back to the story of their father, Abraham. So when Jesus says, if you take your gift to the altar, what he's saying is, when you go to worship, that's what he's saying to them. That's what was hitting their minds. That's what should touch our hearts. When you go to worship, to really connect with God and to allow him not just to connect with you, but maybe who's ever been scanned in worship? Not scammed, scanned. As in, you know, God can see right through you and everything that's going on from top to bottom. There's a couple of honest honest ones amongst us. It's interesting here, Jesus goes on, he says, you, you give your gift at the altar, you go to bring it, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And it's just really interesting the way Jesus seems to interject this totally disconnected subject. When you're off to worship... And then you remember, someone's got an issue with you. It's almost like he says, forget worship. Leave your gift there and go and first reconcile with your brother. Leave your gift, drop and run is what Jesus is saying. Reconcile with other humans and return. So let's just have a look at a few of the phrases in this passage. And this will be a challenging passage, but it's an incredibly liberating passage. Cool. Remember, we're seeing it through the lens, through the focal point or the fulcrum of the Beatitudes as being taking the highest road possible in our human experience. It says, and there remember... 
first thought is this. Worship reveals our heart. If we actually really worship God, whatever form that might take, it doesn't need to be singing or We do that, it's convenient, and congregational singing, I find, very inspiring and encouraging. And often that's where this happens, but not necessarily that. It should be every day as we live our lives and lay our lives down for Christ. But it reveals our heart. When you actually are a worshipper, I really believe when you worship God with all your heart, when you begin to put other things out of that priority zone in your life, you know yourself better than you ever can. When, when I see people that are really damaging, maybe, and, and I hate to use this word toxic, but maybe toxic in relationships, often it's because they are so totally self-focused, they have no perspective on what's going on in their own heart. But it's amazing how worship reveals our own heart to us. It's like in worship, God can hold up a mirror and truly show us ourselves. Distraction, as I said before, is not all bad because God has a way of jogging our memory. In my, who's ever had their memory jogged? <laughs> Start to worship and then you think, oh, I need to fix that. And not just about relationships with other people, but all kinds of stuff where it's like, I, I just need to fix that. I, whoa, something's going on here that needs to stop. This is unhealthy. Come on, could we be honest enough? Because worship reveals the heart. Worship is a time of reflection to become self-aware of what's rattling around inside us. Worship tends to surface the deeper things in us. And that's why it's not just some kind of spiritual entree. If we want to call what we do when we arrive at church and we begin with song, it is very intentional. It is not just counting down the clock for those who get a bad car park to get here. It's not an entree waiting for the main course, which is some guy shouting into a microphone for 30 minutes. Worship is absolutely key. I hate being late into a worship service. If I had all can, I I have to do all kinds of things during one, but if I, I had all can, I try and be fully present for the opening of it so that my heart can engage from that moment. Worship reveals our own heart. You know, Jesus said of worship that the time is coming when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit meaning from your innermost being with everything that's within you. And what truth means is transparency, authenticity, integrity. The time has come. That's what Jesus said. That's what the Father's looking for, is people who with all their hearts bear their soul before him. It doesn't need to be a perfect soul. Just open it up. Because when you open it up and you engage him in worship, he's able to speak to you about the things that you forgot last week. And, of course, lead you in a path of restoration. So can I just ask us a couple of questions on the way through? I'm not saving the questions this week. I'm going to ask us on the way through. I want us to stop and think about that just for a moment. How has worship revealed your own heart to you at times? What's your usual response to things the Spirit reveals to you during worship? 
What's your usual response? Have you ever made a note? Have you ever pulled out your phone and go, I need to do that? I don't know. I'm just I'm saying these are some of the responses. Have you ever gone, you know what? I've been hanging on to that and I'm determined to let that go. Cannot believe that keeps coming up in my heart. I know I'm talking like a real sinner. I just seem to know the pattern of sin so well, don't I? And that's because I do. Because I am. I'm just like you. But that's why I love worship. Because the hidden things of the heart, God's well able to shine a light on. And it's not in some way to make us feel awkward. It's because he loves us and he wants us released from things that we don't know are sucking the life out of us. One of these things is, you know, discord in relationships. Come on, if you've had discord in a relationship, you know how it sucks the life out of you. And Jesus loves you too much to leave you there. If you come to offer your gift at the altar and there remember... And there have God reveal your own heart to you. Then leave and go and be reconciled first. Are you open to hearing from God as you worship? Is the next question. Or are we too self-conscious for that? You know, why I wanted to encourage us to clap this morning is I, I just think, again, we've been through a difficult season that tends to have browbeaten us and narrowed a... Uh, which was, that was a brilliant message, by the way. That was such an inspiring, encouraging message. But Nerida brought this up even, you know, in, in a sense that in the secular realm, they're recognising this, that people are circling the wagons themselves and, and we, we need to open ourselves up. That's what encouraging us, even just to start moving, is I will re-engage. I will not spectate. I will re-engage. And in that re-engagement, God just can speak to my heart. Next phrase is, your brother has something against you. Second thought is that worship reveals the Father's heart. It doesn't just reveal our heart. It reveals his heart. You know, we often apply this scripture to, uh, uh, I need to forgive people who've hurt me. I need to forgive people who've hurt me. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He talks about that in other places, but that is not what he's talking about here. He's actually talking about us, remember, us causing grief. If you go to worship and remember somewhere you've actually caused grief, it might not even be intentional. It doesn't matter what it was. You remember that. You're best to actually stop right there. And first, go and reconcile. And I find this, you know, pretty amazing. I mean, for us to forgive others that have hurt us, that's entirely appropriate. Why? Because God wants us to be free. But what this says, it reveals the Father's heart, not just for us, but for others. He wants them to be free too. Because often we can just go, oh, I don't know, I haven't really got any problems. I'm doing pretty well. No one's upset me lately. <laughs> Without asking ourselves whether we've upset someone else. And it reveals the heart of God, not just for us, but for each other. How can we live in community if we don't live some of this stuff? Again, what Jesus teaches actually is what creates church. And without teaching like this, it's unsustainable because we will offend the heck out of each other plenty of times, Jordan. I don't think you've ever offended me. I'm pretty sure I've offended you a couple of times, but you know. 
It just happens and at some point we've got to grow up and learn how to deal with these things. Because we're tempted to move on, give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and we forget about everything else except that which affects us. And, and often it's only when there are potential consequences that we stop to think about. Ah, oh, they'll get over it, but if you think they're not going to get over it and they're going to cause you trouble, then it's, I probably should say something. And it still becomes about us, not about them. But in worship, God can reveal his heart to you where your heart is moved beyond the point of, well, I'm right anyway. A hardened, arrogant attitude. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know what? I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. It might have been unintentional. But that doesn't change that it happened. And I'm the one responsible <laughs> to first go and fix it. And this is not easy to do. But Jesus here is call, calls us to consider grief we may have caused and actively pursue restitution. In other words, God wants people to feel free and released to other people. And the thing is, he doesn't qualify, he doesn't even qualify whether he has legitimate reason to be offended, your brother, <laughs> this other party. Jesus doesn't even qualify whether they have a reason. He just says, if they are. Because have you ever said, oh, they should just get over it? I didn't mean it. It doesn't lessen the pain sometimes. Everyone's really quiet. You doing Okay. I know it's nearly Christmas time, but it's still November, so we're still preaching hard, okay? <laughs> Next week, we start to talk about the Advent, and I'm really excited about that. This week, we're still on the Sermon on the Mount. So can I ask us a question? And, and I guess, you know, can I just say, you can't always make reconciliation happen. Some people do not want to reconcile, but that does not absolve us from the responsibility of building a bridge all the way across the valley to their side. Whether they step on the bridge or not is none of our business, but whether the bridge exists, that's our business. So the question becomes, how self-aware am I when it comes to pain I cause others? Because you can find that in worship, funnily enough. You can find that in intimacy with God. You can find that in openness with God, where God can speak to your heart very, very clearly about situations you've forgotten about, maybe because you wanted to, just move on. Even as I've been speaking, I've got no doubt some people will be thinking about stuff they haven't thought about for a while. And I just pray the grace of God on you, if it's in your power to make a step towards reconciliation, I pray courage and the grace of God upon you to do it. The third thought, the last thought, is first be reconciled. That's what Jesus says, first be reconciled. And, and I think what this says to me is that in Jesus' eyes, putting God first is putting people first. You want to put God first? Of course we, we all do. Right here, Jesus is prioritising reconciliation over worship. And it's really interesting that Westminster, Westminster Catechism, one of the sort of foundations of, I guess, of early... Protestant thought is that the chief aim of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
our first aim, the chief aim of man is to worship God. And it sounds really good, doesn't it? And then Jesus shows us how to do it in the most difficult way. You want to worship God? Put him first. Put your relationships first. Be a healing hand. Be an arm of reconciliation. Be someone who's quick to forgive and quick, quick to seek a repair in any rift that happens in our relationships. It's all about putting God first, but this is how Jesus expects us to do it. Have you ever known someone in a spiritual bubble? Don't look at the person next to you, whatever you do. I could have said, put your hand up if you think you're sitting next to someone. No, but we wouldn't do that. But have you ever known someone who's in a spiritual bubble and it's like they're so full on for God, they'll even step over people to let you know it. <laughs> see it on, you see it on social media all the time. I can tell you that right now. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, on people first. Want God, you want to be passionate about God? Be passionate about people. The Apostle John puts it this way. How can you say you love God if you can't love a human being that's in the same room as you, who's created in his image. And it is an image of God question. So the question for us becomes, can I see the image of God in others or just in me? I mean, a lot of us have enough trouble accepting that we're made in the image of God. It's a really powerful thing to see the image of God in others, even in those that don't agree with you, who don't believe what you believe, who don't look the way that you look, who don't act or think the way that we act and think. But somehow to be able to look past the differences and see a human being created in the image of God. And I think that is what Jesus is trying to bring through here. It's another nail in the coffin of the myth of redemptive violence. That we can push back hard, we can live the way we want, we can hurt people as long as they're the right kind of people to hurt and that that will solve our ills and the ills of the world. And yet the cross of Jesus Christ was God himself spreading his arms, absorbing the pain and the violence of the whole world as he took our sin upon himself to destroy the myth of redemptive violence, that there is only redemptive peace and we should seek it at any cost. I'm going to ask the team to come back. And, um, and pray for us this morning. You doing okay? Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to be happy to hit Christmas theme next week? I find Jesus so challenging. Jesus is so challenging. He's no less challenging than when I first met him 37 years ago. As a matter of fact, a lot more so. I thought it was just about giving up a silly car and trying to fly a bit straight as a young person making dumb decisions. But the older I get and the more I worship, the more he peels back the layers, the onion. Come on, who's had that experience? And, and the more you realise that I can never afford to let or to want him to stop doing that. That's what we call a hardened heart. But Lord, I'll come into your presence 
I'll try and be as real and transparent and as authentic as I know how. I will worship you. And as you bring things to my heart, as you reveal your own heart to me, I will allow the power of the Holy Spirit and the Lordship of Jesus Christ to transform my life into your image. Beautiful, isn't it? That's the gospel. So could we stand together this morning? Let me pray for you. Jesus, you're challenging, but you're so good. It's only ever for us. It's only ever to help us become fully human, to realise all that we were created to be, to strip away the, the lies, the myths, the false assumptions that our world generates and to bring us back to truth. And as you said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for challenging our hearts. We thank you for the love, the acceptance and the forgiveness we find in you. Help us display it to others. Help us live that out in the real world.